My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Again, with your, Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Hey everybody, this is Mystic Mark, host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and I'm bringing to you today on this bonus My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast episode, a re-release of my latest appearance on Lighting the Void, which broadcasts live five nights a week on Fringe FM. You can find Fringe FM on your radio, on the internet, or even on your cell phone. I use Fringe FM the app to tune in to Fringe FM, I think you should do the same. Anyways, enjoy this re-released episode ad-free of my latest appearance on Lighting the Void, my second appearance on Lighting the Void with Joe Root. Enjoy and be sure to subscribe to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast on Patreon, Rockfin, We've got a Telegram. Join in the Telegram family. And while you're at it, leave us a message on Telegram, a voice message, and tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. I want to play those voice messages right here on the show. I have a very important update. The My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast has a whole bunch of new t-shirts designed by yours truly think of them like band t-shirts but with conspiracy themes that's right i made them myself check them out they're pretty badass we've got hollow earth neo geomancy the arcane embrace hackers wanted so many more go check them out we got a teespring it's linked right here in the episode description that's about it, folks. Enjoy this conversation about Alistair Crowley, out-of-body experiences, and the occult. Feel your best. Get yours on. By man. The universe is a tremendous living organism of anything we believe or do not believe is always right. Say in your mind, say to yourself, I am more than my 
physical body. Because I am more than physical matter, I can perceive that which is greater than the physical world. So when maybe you or somebody else creates an AGI system and you get to ask her one question, what would that question be? What's outside the simulation? FM, KTLK, Digital Broadcasting. It's December the 15th on into the 16th. We only got a couple weeks left here, 2021. I hope you guys are uh, got all your New Year's resolutions in. I've got mine. And it's coming quick. And everything just goes by so damn fast. If this is your first time listening to the show, we talk about all things eclectic, especially when it comes to consciousness, exploration, and discovering who you are and what the hells are really going on out here. That's why we're called Void Walkers. We're not here to teach you crap. We're just asking the questions that need to be asked. Our website is lightingthevoid.com. You can go to that website. Make sure you sign up to the Deep Void so you can get access to the archives, commercial free. You also get access to the Magic Audios, which there's going to be, I think, three. I don't want to put four new audios in there, but I think I'm going to do three, uh, which is where we explore what we call in today's day magic, but we, we're going to explore it in audio form. So you'll be able to hear the sound of my voice as I walk you through this stuff. We're going to create our own temples and we're going to have a good time. And we're always going to have a good time on this show tonight on the broadcast. Mark Steves from my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. Also all media United and union of the unwanted. You guys know Mark. He's back. He's here with us and contact at the cabin is completely sold out so if you didn't get a ticket then i guess i'm not going to get to see you february the 10th through the 13th i'll be there with brandon powell and owen hunt and darren grimes the grime america crew they're going to be hosting this thing everybody's going to be fed all the rooms are taken all the couch spots are taken everything's taken and that's coming up quick too so yeah if by some reason any tickets open up or somebody dips out or anything i swear i'll let you guys know and if you bought a ticket to go Make sure you let me know. Everybody that's on this side of the fence, I want to know. It doesn't really matter. I just want to know and prepare myself to meet you if you're a listener of this show, okay? And if you go to uh, lightingthevoid.com and you get an altar box, make sure you put in the code word Xavier because I'm just going to hand out this code because Freighter Xavier promoted the altar box, which I think is really cool. Put in that code. You're going to get $50 off as well. All right? So 
what else? Uh, there's really nothing like in the news that I don't like. I've looked in the news. There's nothing that I really want to talk about other than the fact that uh, this lady in uh, Italy got st- <laughs> stuck in a car wash. I don't. I don't know why I find the darkest stuff to, to talk about for some reason. But in Italy, this grandmother had to be rushed to the hospital after being stranded in a self-serve car wash for nearly an hour. She feared for her life when her car got jammed between a pair of rollers and no one could hear her cries for help over the noise. And the woman started having chest pains while using her phone to call for help. And an hour arrived. Now, just to be honest with you, like after an hour, help arrived. I look at these like radio show prep service things and I look, well, what can I talk about? And this thing popped up. So if you think I'm sick or that's funny or whatever, like this is was broadcasted to a lot of radio show hosts that do radio shows, okay? So it's not just me. Whoever put that news out there, right, is like just as sick, you know? So it's not just me. Also, uh, Pope Francis is telling young people not to be uh, prisoners to their cell phones. Uh, you know, while speaking in the Greek capital of Athens, I think it was yesterday or the day before, the Pope said many people today are prisoners of their cell phones in their hand. And the Pope added the young people should serve others. But clearly, uh, the Pope is angling for some kind of miracle here because we don't live in a country where people are here to serve others. But I think it was cool that he mentioned that, right? And what else? I talked about the the dog-sniffing stuff yesterday where they got dogs that are sniffing out people that have coronavirus in California. If you guys live in Cali, man, you got to get out of there. You got you to leave, okay? Ozzy Osbourne just turned 73, which kind of, Makes me wonder, like, how do you give a present to a guy that doesn't remember anything? And Billie Eilish has launched her first ever fragrance, so there's some good news about that. So everyone wants to smell like 1960s leather pajama bottoms and three-day-old socks. There you go. All right, so Mark is here with us. And Mark Palmer, Steve's Jr., is an iconoclastic thinker, conspiracy, sleuther, mystical explorer, and spiritual devotee. And he's always questioned to the official narrative whether it was from the classroom or on television or on the world around himself. He researches anything and everything that presents his, itself to his intuition. He also helps book shows for the Tenfold Hat podcast, also runs Alt Media United, a member of Union of the Unwanted, a personal friend of mine. And it's good to have you back on the show, brother. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be back. And yes, I do book shows for Tinfall Hat. For, this, for uh, my show, too, a few times, actually, so... Yeah, I have helped you out there. Yeah. I've put a new thing up where anybody can book themselves to come on my show now, right? Because I'm lazy. Well, I'll definitely help you out more often. But, yeah, I say that because Sam is a huge inspiration for me. Wouldn't be doing this without him, literally. I mean, he. you you mentioned before we broadcasted that you saw him live in Tampa. That's awesome. That's how I met him in New York City. And I handed him a book that I'm sure you're familiar with called the Kybalion, the Kybalion Seven yeah, Hermetic yeah. Principles, you know, and, and that really kicked it off in a synchronistic way. I, we might've talked about that the first time, but Sam has inspired me. And now I don't just have one podcast that I do. Like you said, I am slightly a part of the union of the unwanted. I have been lazy and I have not been on that <laughs> show in a few months. So, I haven't made it either. Uh, they always email yeah. me and it's like, Hey, we're going to do a show. And I'm always in the, like, I, I never can get to it, but I think it's well, one of the I, coolest things going on. I never get emailed, but somehow I sneak in there. I don't know if they want me or not, but I 
I think it's through the telegram that I make my way on there, but I got to go on there more often, but I've been really busy because I have three other new shows that I started doing since I think since we last spoke. So yeah, yeah, we have the, your handbook for the apocalypse that I'm doing now with Michael Wan, who I'm almost certain you've spoken to before. Oh, I love that guy. And, uh, and then the other show, maybe you're not familiar with these guys, but generation Z this podcast going into all kinds of UFO black project stuff. We're doing a podcast about the periodic table of elements. Each episode, we break down the alchemical mysterious and even conspiratorial aspects of each element on the table of elements. So we've been, we hit five different elements last week. We did lithium, which was really strange because the next morning after I published our episode on lithium, a huge podcast which i hope everybody's familiar with mysterious universe put out an episode called lithium crop circle so i was like wow look at the synchronicity there i hadn't how would i have known that that's what their new episode was gonna be lithium crop circles i gotta hear that that sounds interesting man well they find these lithium i don't know if it's if it's the element itself but you know lithium i think is radioactive so they they find residue or whatever it is that indicates lithium in these crop circles. And I think one of the theories is that there's some sort of plasmatic physics going on when they create these crop circles. Like it's not, you know, it's not any type of process that we could replicate with the technology that we have in the public sector. Hmm. Dude, there's some, see, you know what I want to talk to you about is I think that we are, we are in this age of Aquarius. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, what's the age of Aquarius or that, but I really think like this is it, you know, because there's so many people talking about just cool stuff now and doing their own thing. I was listening to one of Sam's shows where he had on a couple of guys that were in the OTO and started oh, yeah, doing their the, own uh, magic. New York Patriot and, and Lux, right? Yeah, the, uh, dude, I would love to talk to those guys, by the, the way. Cult Rejects. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in touch. I'm actually talking to New York Patriot this Friday. And so it was interesting to hear, and they talked about, you know, the Gateway Experience, which Robert Monroe created, right? And they talked about all this stuff that it feels validating to me. Just to be honest with you, because I, I've been talking about this stuff for years, right? When it comes to the Golden Dawn magic and how the Golden Dawn is not Thelema. And even if you don't like either one, there's still something to be understood about magic and also astral travel as a whole and the out-of-body experience and what it's all about, right? And to hear these guys that I've never heard before, right, just pop up on Sam's show and it feels like they're saying what I've been saying, but they're saying it. In just this different ways, right? So a lot of people are saying the same thing in different ways, which tells me a lot of people are starting to not like wake up or become woke to the conspiracy world, but wake up to the spiritual world, right? The world where, oh, shit, you know, like I can do stuff that I didn't know I could do. I love what, what you're getting at. And you know what's so cool about the Occult Rejects? That's the name of their podcast. They were put in touch with me through a friend who I was put in touch with, you know, the the way podcasters meet each other. You go on someone's show, then you meet some people that have been on their show. And it's so interesting on the point of the age of Aquarius, because when I was a delivery driver listening to 
eight hours of tinfoil hat, the higher side chats, cry America show all of this, you know, your show as well, you know, all these podcasts I was absorbing and I would listen to Sam's show and there was just like a, a connection there. And I would kind of like, like, like a schizophrenic, you know, or a crazy person. I would like talk to myself in the van, like, you know, like, and respond to podcasts. No, you're not crazy. A lot of people do that because they, <laughs> they want to say, I mean? you know, they hear the conversation and they're like, damn it. If I was in there, I'd tell them this stuff that I know or what I think. Right. And it's so, you know, I get it. It's a familiar feeling. And I had that overwhelmingly like, oh, if only Sam talked to this guy, if only Sam talked to this guy. Right. So now to be in the, the field like I am, helping these connections get facilitated. That's all I ever want to do. Cause I don't think that I'm like the expert in every subject. No, nah, when I but, hear something, when I hear something, my intuition is like, yes, this is, we need to dive deeper into what this person's talking about. You should have, if you ever get, I don't know if he's been on Sam show or not, but you should have Thomas Campbell go on Sam show. Thomas okay. Campbell helped Robert Monroe. He's a NASA physicist, brilliant guy. He wrote this trilogy called My Big Theory of Everything. I've talked to him a couple, but he helped Robert Monroe discover hemisync, which is what these guys were talking about when you put both hemispheres of your brain together by putting two different frequencies in your ear, and it helps you have out-of-body experiences. I mean, they were talking about it in the show kind of like it was some, it could be some dark thing, but it's really just like two different frequencies to bring to, you know what I mean, to bring the two hemispheres right. together to get you out of the body. But it would be cool because to, to have him on to talk to Sam about astral travel and all that. Dude, he he brought up astral travel. I was sitting right in front at the comedy place, right? And I know he kind of, I don't know if it's part of his bit, but he kind of glanced and then he goes, you know what? He goes, I, I want to. He started talking about how everybody was many creator gods and he wants to get to the fourth D and the fifth D and start an astral travel and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I wonder how long this has been a part of his bit, right? Because everybody, everybody, dude, it was so cool because like everybody in that was there were clapping and hollering. So this is like, I feel like we're all part of this big manifestation of self-discovery. Because I would never think in 10 years that I would be in a comedy club listening to a guy talk about astral travel, screaming at the top of his lungs, and people are like rooting and cheering for him about it. It was so yeah, crazy, man. you know? It was so crazy to think about. It's it's awesome. I'm, you know, I definitely, I'm a big comedy fan, but I, I'm not, you know, into like the lower vibrational humor stuff and what's so cool about Sam is like he, you know, cut his teeth in the place where the best comics, you know, be, got their name, you know, the comedy yeah. store. He's bonafide and he has all the skills of a comedian. But then to that point, towards the end of his show, and I don't know if it's changed since I've heard it, but he breaks it down you know, in a way where you're like, oh, wow, this is more than just a comedy show. This feels like we're at like some kind of cult meeting. Or yeah, something. like he's, but, but right. he's empowering people, right? He's trying exactly. to get people to wake up. And, yeah. and I don't say that cult thing as if it's a negative thing. It's like, it's a beautiful thing because, you know, I don't think 10 years ago that would have been appreciated. I think people would have just probably like the rare few might've been excited, but most people would just be like, you know, waiting for the next joke. And I think that <clears throat> that's a big indicator of what I've experienced. I mean, I'm only 27 years old. So 
2012, not only was it a big awakening uh, for the world, but for me, from my perspective, it seemed like it was just a part of what I was experiencing, you know, this kind of, you know, coming of age, turning 18, looking in all this stuff, getting crystals and like feeling like, oh, wow, these crystals are actually doing something to me. Cause I would smoke pot and I would read books, but like crystals were where the, the fourth wall was broken for me because I really, you know, I've always been super skeptical as interesting, as interested as I am in a lot of fringe things. I started my interest as a really young boy being interested in nature and animals and like classifying it all in my mind. So for me, I still need that structure that you get from the more, I mean, like proper sciences, even though they're not so proper, I apply that to this realm, you know, and crystals for me were a big breakthrough because I, I didn't really, I didn't really get the mind over matter, the mind matter difference. You know, I was kind of stuck in that materialist paradigm for a while. And it was, uh, it was a combination of crystals, psychedelics, and cannabis that got me out of that. But I haven't had any out-of-body experiences. I don't know if I've spoken to you about that. Oh, God, dude, you got to get that going, man. You got to start ripping on that for sure. Yeah, and and I I don't want to, like, cheat by doing DMT. And maybe that's not cheating. No, listen, all right, I can tell you for sure it's not. Like, it's not even the same thing, right? And and what you'll realize is some people start calling astral travel it's something different. Like I really still believe this. I don't care what anybody says. Like there is where you can literally pull your soul out of your body kind of right. And be in this realm. Things are a little distorted, but you're there. I've done, I've done that once. Then there's like this weird in between thing where you're almost falling into the dream world, but you're still kind of here. And then there's dreams and lucid dreams. So there's there's these weird levels of consciousness. But where was I going with this, right? Because you, I don't know Crystals? where. I, yeah. Oh, well, I haven't had any dreams and the DMT aspect. I oh, the DMT thing, right? It, yeah. So I smoked it's available DMT for me, and that was not the same thing at all. Almost like, mm-hmm. almost like, I will tell you this: like if they're if they're right, scientifically right about when you die, that you release a bunch of DMT then I promise you when you're on your way out, I can promise everybody this, you're not going to give a shit, right? You, you might you might like feel a little bit of fear or something, but as far as it's like you're, in my case, the body won't let you care once you're, if, if, if they're right. Because you can't, you know how like when you do acid or mushrooms or anything like that, you can walk, you can talk, you can function somewhat, you might be in a distorted reality, okay? You might get, like, stomach bubbles and whatever. With DMT, like, you ain't going anywhere. You're not. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything, at least when you're in the throes of it. You can forget all that. And even if you try, it's going to feel at least like you're... It's like being in a dream where you're trying to run, but you can barely move, that kind of thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, right. it's not cool. At first, it's kind of scary because it's so powerful, and then you start going with it, and then it's like, well, okay, well, if death is like this, I'll be fine. 
You yeah. Know? Well, you, you hear so much about it. And I, you know, when you brought up the cult rejects and the hemisync thing, I'm, I'm in your camp, but as a booker, as the booker for the show, I don't want to like let my bias get in the way of having sure, you a good conversation. So, yeah. So even if there's, you know, they're skeptical on that stuff and I don't agree, I still want to have them on the show because it's really not up to me. It's up to Sam at the end of the day, but I, I felt like, yeah, I didn't agree with them doesn't stop me from having them on my show either but that's that's where i'm at with dmt and i'm wondering if i'm applying an irrational paranoia to it because for i for a while i've had the option and i've hesitated just because i'm like well if i'm already feeling connected if i'm already feeling in touch with something now as i am why do i need to like risk messing it up you know and i don't know but then again is that irrational is it not going to mess me up? You know, like, I mean, I, I don't, I think you should do whatever you want to do. Like, right. It is, know. it is difficult. I don't want to put you in that situation either to, to give me that. Yeah. Yes like I no, think you should do whatever you want to do <laughs> because it would be like, you know, what should I do? Ayahuasca or you're going to have a powerful experience. Dude, I had a powerful experience, and we messed it all up. We bought this vape thing that burned way too hot. So instead of taking, like, three rips, I took three rips all at once, you know. And it's not (laughs) – and it's just – I didn't get the full effect that I could have got. That's why I want to do it again. But I personally do not feel like it messed me up, took me off my energetic journey or anything in any kind of way. I just feel like it took me to a different – place that i've never been before you know and i was you know what we did bro we listened to terrence mckenna all day prepped ourselves and all that stuff and then like wasted like half of it because we were just burning this stuff so hot in this thing you know so that's another thing too you want to make sure you in my opinion if you're going to do it and you finally make up your mind you want to do it do your homework before you do it and get a good setting you know that's all i would say yeah. No, I, I definitely did that when I was uh, younger and I would take acid. I remember one time I would, I just listened to like Alan Watts, like six hours. Oh you yeah. Know? Cool. So, and I probably went into a Terrence McKenna one, but now that I've researched as much as I have on the whole, you know, psychedelic CIA connection, I'm like, obviously Timothy Leary's sketchy. Terrence McKenna I don't know. He seems to be sort of on that like uh tightrope, maybe leaning towards the side of not a total psyop. But what are your thoughts on the whole Discordian and like the Robert Anton Wilson crowd and all that? Because Terrence is loosely connected with all them. I think anytime you typecast something, there's a psyop going on or something, right? Mm. So if you so Robert Anton Wilson and all these people when they create cults, right? When they create this church, that church, this way of thought, this membership, this, that. You, you understand what I'm saying? I think I hear you. When you, when you start to typecast yourself into a, a certain section, right? And, and I do it too. I call my people void walkers. But really, what is that? They're just people that are willing to go into the void and not claim to know anything, right? I'm just, a void walker. Right. But I think, let's say void walkers got to a big level, right? And everybody knew what a void walker was and everybody knew 
who Joe Roop was, or if I thought myself more important, I would call myself Joseph Daniel Roop. You understand what I'm saying? Why not just say Robert Wilson or Rob Wilson? When people start giving themselves three or four names, then they're super important, you know. Just I'm you, worried. You introduced me as Mark Palmer Steves Jr. <laughs> oh, shit. But, but that, if I wrote a but I would say, look, if I wrote a book, I didn't even think about that, bro. I just trapped myself, didn't I? If I wrote a book, I would put Joseph Daniel Roop in there because to me, Joe Roop is the radio personality, right? No, but I see what you mean. As soon as you categorize or segregate or segment things like that, it just, it ends up losing its wholeness, which is what the essence of of what they're really selling is anyways. I mean, that's what all these groups are really trying to give you is, is a connection with source, but they end up being a middleman, I find more often than not. Yeah. And do you know what'll happen as well? You know, this, when you start going on your own journey, of self-discovery and you start spreading that message and the universe starts rewarding you for it. What'll end up happening is, is lots of things will shift and change in your life. And I think sometimes the ego kicks in and people start thinking, well, it's my time to, you know, get my tribe and all this other stuff. But what, what will end up happening is, is the more that happens, you got to think about like what happened to Jesus, right? Some people start hating you, even plotting against you, saying you're the, you know, what are you saying? You're God or something like that. And, you know, magicians are devil worshipers and tricksters. And and then other people will come to you and say, I want to learn how to change my life through connecting to the universe. And then you say, okay, well, this is how I do it. How do you connect to the universe? Let's figure this out together. And all you're trying to do is figure stuff out together. The second you put it in categories, books, secret societies, you know, stuff like that. It's That's when the powers that be, I feel like, can get their murky little hands into it. You know what I mean? I 100% agree. I'm finding more and more what people have been resonating with from my show is talking about that sort of synchromystic looking into your own backyard, you know, the type of thing Mike did with the Susquehanna river, you know, not a lot of people even probably knew what the Susquehanna river was for the longest time. And then such an awesome story, really. Right. Right. And I've been trying my best to look into the state that I'm from and all of the interesting aspects of the land. And one thing that stands out on all corners of the globe our stones, you know, not just because we use them as building material, but also because they last, you know, they're, they're seemingly much, much more (laughs) immortal than us. You know, they do wear down over time, but they are like these sort of markers of the past and they're like sticking up out of the earth and just finding really strange, huge boulders in places where you're like, wow, how the hell did this get here? And uh, Stone Rose, which I think we talked about last time I was here on Lighting the Void. And yeah, all these Stone Rose, it's just adding up to an explanation that doesn't fit what we're given. And the explanation is that Indians, slaves, and colonists built them to divide up property, which is okay. But, you know, some of these 
stone rows go all the way up the side of a mountain over the top of it, you know, and it's like, this seems more like a trail than a a fence. You know what I mean? So I'm starting to look at, at that stuff. And then the other really cool thing that I've noticed is when you find these huge, I mean, one, two, three ton boulders in the stone row, it's like, Okay, yeah. colonists were building this. How many oxes did they have to pull this boulder in place, you know, unless they right. just had it there already and built around it, which doesn't seem to add up. But then there's the extreme cases where you have like actual structures built out of stone, the stone chambers. Right, um, right. Listen, I got to take a break. I already went over the break here. Uh, I know you're used to podcasting, right? Radio is a little different, right? But when we get Let's back, take a break. Mark. We're going to go into magic. We're going to get, you know, what we didn't get to talk last time. I want to talk some deep Crowley stuff here with you. Okay. How about that? Yeah. 0335 is the call number. Welcome back to Lighting the Void. Mark Steves is here with us. And I hate the fact, man, I hate that I cut you off like right, you know, during the break. It's hard right. to get used to this radio stuff, isn't it? Huh? All right. It's fun, right. though, I'm isn't it? It's the long form. It's fun. We're yeah. breaking it up. It yeah, keeps it's me on my toes. So you were talking about these stones, man. Tell me, so tell me about the stones. And people right. that are just tuning in, they're like, what stones? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's definitely, you know, it's something that I think maybe some people are like, what does the hell does stones have to do with magic? But if you, if you consider the, the pentacle, right, the actual, where that comes from, I think it's called the Tuatha de Danin, right? These four symbols that make the tarot card deck. And the pentacle is uh, a representation of the philosopher's stone and is quite literally a stone. And, you know, although alchemy, yes, has a metaphysical aspect, it literally has a, f- you know, physical aspect and there's a, you know, chemical practice associated with it. And all of these breakthroughs that were scientific that's what we call them now were thought of as you know magical acts you know they were literally discovering things out of nothing seemingly to them it was divine inspired and stones are particularly interesting not just because there's so many sacred sites across the world built from stone i mean one that i just found out today is called exterstein in germany and it's very, very interesting, like huge, huge stones, just like strange looking stones. But anyways, what's what's so cool on like a physical level for those people who want to know like the nuts and bolts about it? Stone has a defect structure, which means that it has gaps that can trap electrons. So we have all these free electrons flowing around on these stone structures. So then to go and take that stone and possibly through these, you know, levitative forces, move them and arrange them in these circles and whatnot, you're creating like an energy vortex, you know, and much to your point about the age of Aquarius, I think what's going to be really important in this new age is reconnecting with those sacred sites, particularly those stone sites. So here in New England, a lot of them are not even really highlighted they're kind of shrouded in mystery one of them you know in my state you're trespassing if you'd go and visit it and for good reason you know i'm sure people might disrupt it because in general people don't really have much care for these types of things you know typically teenagers go through the woods and drink beer and throw 
glass bottles at stones, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it makes sense that they don't want people trespassing there. But when I visited it trespassing, I felt like this strange energy at this site called Gungiwamp, G-U-N-G-Y-W-A-M-P. And uh, it's in Connecticut near a submarine base. Of course, these places are always, you know, adjacent to military bases for some reason. And it's a really strange site, A, because it's astronomically aligned and B, because it has a sort of disputed origin. Some people say it was built by the Irish. Some people say it was built by the Native Americans. And this is just one of uh, dozens and dozens of examples of weird stone structures around New England and the United States at large and North America, even South America, that are yet to be fully explained. So I think there's a certain magic in that. And what's so cool about understanding not just synchronicity, but the way our reality works is when you go out and explore these things, you might very well be led down a rabbit hole and end up discovering something. Kind of like, kind of like what our man did, right? That, you know, Susquehanna alchemy or whatever. Oh man, your zoom froze up, bro. That sucks. But uh, what I wanted to do was I agree with you on that by the way. But what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about Crowley because I listened to that show where these guys, they were talking about that, man. And they joined the OTO. And for some reason, <clears throat> they got out. And they got out because they started realizing that some of the information didn't line up. Some of the things that they were talking about didn't line up. And this is what I was been, I've been trying to tell everybody because Aleister Crowley, I'm not, so if you're a big Aleister Crowley fan, I don't want to bash, I'm not here to bash Aleister Crowley, but Aleister Crowley was on a magical journey, joined the Golden Dawn. He thought it was too rigid or whatever. He became an adept in the Golden Dawn, quote, like there's a whole bunch of political stipulations about all that stuff. It doesn't even matter. It really doesn't. And then he started his whole thing based on an invocation that he did in Egypt where I was or this being came down and told him, if you guys have read the book of the law, then you know what I'm talking about, where he basically started his own religion. And then he proceeded to go around, literally proceeded to go around him and implement what he believed into our Western systems of occultism, even Freemasonry. Like it was so important for his viewpoints of Thelema to be accepted by all of these people. And granted, he wrote a lot of books. He did a lot of things. And a lot of people have learned a lot of good things from Aleister Crowley. But I, I I think because... I think... I seriously think Aleister Crowley did magic a disservice in a big way because even when i hear people talk about the golden dawn and other stuff and i've preached this before it's all like crowley has his stamp all over it right and there's so much more to learn besides just the thelema you you get what i'm saying brother i hear you you hear me yeah i think we lost you did you call back in or something yeah i'm here okay so, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, by the way? I know that you like studying Crowley. I'm not here to bash him or anything. I just think that it's magic is still trying to 
uncover itself from, I don't want to say the stains of Crowley. That's, a, that's not what I'm saying. It's still trying to uncover itself from the idea that everybody that practices magic is like Aleister Crowley. It's a bad anchoring image, I think, you know. Absolutely. I don't think that, you know, the typical inflammatory take on him helps, but I'm definitely not in the persuasion to defend him by any means. I think what's interesting about him is the fact that he wrote as much as he wrote and that that's about it for me. Like I, I'm, I come at this stuff from a literary interest and on the point of Crowley connecting back to what I was talking about before I broke up there you know, he started really his spiritual understanding through mountain climbing. Right. And, you know, again, I think there's something to that. There's something to going out in the landscape and especially stone landscapes. But beyond that, he was somebody who lived a very complicated life. I mean, growing up in a strict religious Christian sect that he did definitely didn't help him, you know, develop into a healthy a human being. And I think that pressure, especially like a repression of his sexuality, at least in sort of the, a pretty extreme way in the sense of being caught in the act by his mother, you know, and being kind of chastised for that and getting that nickname, the beast. I think, you know, not that I'm a Freudian anything, but I think that there's definitely something psychologically psychologically telling about the early events in his life and why, you know, the later events in his life transpired the way they did. A lot of people, you know, know that his most acknowledged book is titled the diary of a drug fiend, you know, and, and I think that's very telling as well of his literary career being that, you know, his most popular book is the one that was kind of, I don't know, made the least amount of sense in my opinion, just because it's kind of rambling. There's some intelligible stuff there, but he's, you know, he's in the throes of like an opium addiction and every other psychedelic and weird drug they had available at the time. Cause he was definitely a hedonist. So all that being said, he also was in these circles where wealthy, powerful and uh, intelligence agents, were circling, you know, being a part of that club in the early 20th century there, you know, being a sort of aristocrat or at least striving to be, and he had all that money he inherited. So he fit in, but oddly, and it wasn't odd in that time to join like a Freemason society, but he really took to the golden dawn. And then, you know, being such a brilliant person in his own mind said, I can do this better. And yeah, I'm going to start my own thing and really just ended up branching off of what the OTO had already got the ball rolling. Right. And that's yeah, when which, he created, it's not a, and it's not a big hidden thing. The whole OTO teachings is all about, it's all about sex magic, right? People just need to understand. And I'm not saying that like I'm downplaying uh, masculine and feminine or any of that. So I'm not, but I think Crowley took it, too far in my opinion but also to a level where there was so much still to learn about love than stopping where he stopped right but he got to the point where jesus you know the golden dawn's like another religion to him because you know what i mean and he didn't like that 
So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he, he definitely is, is far stranger than he's given credit. I mean, most people just remember him as wicked, but it's definitely a case of somebody who led a, a kind of a trailblazing life in that time. And I was always fascinated by the stuff that you don't really hear about him, like his time in Mexico, right? Where he became a Freemason right. and he was doing all this stuff around Mexico with possibly, you know, magic mushrooms and, and peyote. We know peyote, but it is possible that he was also using mushrooms. So I find that like, you know, a cult connection, very interesting because you see it resurface in the, like later on, you know, kind of when he's coming to his demise with this whole psychedelic movement, you know, it's very obvious that the intelligence agencies at least loosely connected through him were aware of these kind of substances going far beyond Gordon Wasson, you know, that he's often given credit uh, for uh, bringing mushrooms to the Western world. But I think there was a lot more people than we think playing around with that kind of stuff in that time. Yeah, you get lost. Well, we get lost in, in trying to find out then this is what happens. Like, this is why I wanted to play some clips from that show, but I didn't get time to record it. But uh, you get lost in trying to figure out the truth. So when these guys that were on Sam's show were talking about, well, we joined uh, the OTO, and I want to talk to them about that too. They started saying, well, noticing that in the books they were being taught, uh, well, this is Golden Dawn or this, and it really wasn't the original Golden Dawn stuff. And, and the more that it's just like an add-on or a different version of it, which is like, uh, their own banishing rituals and their own rituals the way they want to do it. And that to me, that's fine. It's when you start mislabeling stuff that it's, it's not fine. Because when people join a secret society, they're asking people uh, to trust them, right? So you're saying, I'm giving you my trust and faith that you're leading me in the right direction as far as that's concerned. And that's a really, to me, that's not something that you should just give up easily, right? So when you tell somebody that, well, this is a Golden Dawn ritual or that this came from the Golden Dawn and it really didn't. Like, take the book Lieber 777, right? Everybody thinks Aleister Crowley wrote that book. Mathers wrote that book. Crowley just published the damn thing in a different way. You know? Mm, and it, and it's right. like, well, most of the stuff, you'll find that that he had to go back to the Golden Dawn teachings and then do it in his own way right, or add things to it or whatever. And I think it's just this rebellious thing of don't tell me what to do, right, because I want to do it my way. I think, that's, I think that's good, but I also think, like, what if, what if God came down to you and told you, hey, this is the right way to love and this is what you need to do to work on yourself, and I'm not saying that's what the Golden Dawn is at all, but you looked at it and you're like, oh, God, you know, this is daunting, I don't want to do this. How about I just take half the teachings and just do it my way because I'm smarter than the rest of you, you know. Uh, mm. And plus, I want to experience all the stuff that magic is supposed to teach me, which you t like hedonism, right? I want to sleep with a bunch of concubines and call it love and all this other stuff. And, th and then if you study Israel Regardi, people would fall in love with this guy, right? They would fall in love with Crowley. Even Golden Dawn magicians like the Unfortunate or, or Israel Regardi, and then they would realize, hey, I'm 
talking to this guy that's just not going to budge on anything, right? He thinks he's right about everything. And then next thing you know, Israel Regardi is writing books about, no, Thelema is not the Golden Dawn. And now they're clashing and all this. And when you get into these secret societies today, it's all a bunch of jarbled stuff, man. Like, you got to do, like, a lot of work to figure out what's real Mm -hmm. and what's not. And it gets to the point where you start just wanting to figure it out for yourself, you know? Well, yeah, and I second that because I own a lot of strange books that I've come across that use bookstores and whatnot and had that conundrum of like, wow, okay, there is context on top of context on top of context and I don't understand two, the, the first two, you know? So it's it's definitely not easy to approach this stuff. That's why the the syncretic lens and trying to see things for the connections helps, but that's not the best way to understand this stuff and what you're saying before about Crowley kind of not being satisfied. I think that was part and parcel why he publicate, you know, published so much stuff because, you know, he would put his own spin on it and then kind of in order to mock the people that he learned it from, like throw it out there for anyone to learn, you know, it's kind of like against the big key tenant that they teach you in a lot of these secret societies, right? Is don't tell anybody. He, you know, went out and published all this stuff. Yep. Yeah, and that was something a lot of people agreed on, too, like Rigardi and Dion Fortune. Like, this stuff shouldn't be secret. Well, that is a paradox in itself. Don't cast pearls before swine, that kind of thing. If someone's ready to learn of the power of how something works that they can tap into in the natural world or natural laws... What if a person is has a, I don't know, a bloodlust or lust period or just a lust for money and power or money or you see what I mean? So it's the whole thing, the whole system, in my opinion, is about self-realization and love and alchemy. It, it doesn't have a damn thing to do with manifesting your dream life. And obviously, if that were the case, people like Crowley and other occultists would be... Um, living their dream life instead of having all these crazy bad things happen. But I think the reason why those things happen is because we get power hungry, right? Like, what else can I do? What else can I get away with? And then we start questioning morality. What's right or wrong? I mean, what have I been taught that's right or wrong? And then you get to this crazy place, and that's what people are afraid of. This is the kind of questions people ask me, Mark. They're like, Well, I'm leaving. They start getting involved in the mysteries. They're like, well, I'm leaving religion, and I'm kind of scared. And I'm like, good, you should be. You should be. You should be scared anytime you start delving into things and messing with your psyche. I don't mean, like, afraid in the COVID kind of way, but you should treat it respectfully. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think, you know, I'm definitely not one to ever be on that side of (laughs) dispensing fear. And I'm definitely, I don't think you're this way either. I'm not like against the occult. I don't come from this stuff from a Christian angle, but you know, I just talked to Richard Spence, uh, PhD. He wrote the book, Secret Agent 666, all about Aleister Crowley's history in espionage as an intelligence agent. And I find it really interesting, you know, when you look at his problems with Christianity and then his affinity with the occult and then the widespread 
sort of dissemination of this information at that time. I wonder if that, you know, this is just a thought experiment. I'm wondering if that was somehow sort of setting the table for the 20th century and what would happen. I mean, you see all this science fiction type being written around that same time. Yeah, go ahead. I think you're onto something with that, right? I mean, we got to take a break. We're at the top of the hour, but I think I that's what I was going to try to get a teaser for. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. what we'll get into when we come back. Drop the teaser, brother. Go for it. So everybody knows Tesla and everybody knows Warden Cliff Towers. Well, I don't know if everybody knows that Aleister Crowley did the Alamantra, you know, workings with possibly Montauk and the Montauk project in mind. Using the ley lines. So we'll get into that and how it was possibly an espionage act. Did Crowley, the way the world is today, I wonder how much did magic and how much did Crowley have to do with the way things are right now? I don't know. I tend to think whatever invocation he did, I don't know what year exactly it was, right around the 20s or 30s during all that stuff happened. But if you look at a, a chart of technology, invention, innovation, things like that, right around that time is when things really started to pick up. And now we're in this day and age where everybody's into magic, tarot, and the out-of-body experience and astrology. I think it's awesome. But the question is, is did Crowley really have something to do with it? Did he Was as bad as a lot of people think he is, was he a, a fulcrum or, let's say, a catalyst to this stuff. Mark, what do you think? I definitely think, I mean, the fact that he was involved with the espionage community as much as he was is fishy to say the least, especially if you consider his association with psychedelics and then intelligence agencies, quick dissemination of psychedelics, some decades later it almost seems like he was even loosely involved with you know the atom bomb you know through his connection to jack parsons and all the rocket stuff that they were working on and i don't know if jack now that i say that was particularly involved with the atom bomb itself but he's definitely in that you know milieu of innovative personalities in the turn of the century that created I mean, in his words, you know, the, the birth of a new aeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Book of the Law is a pretty scary-ass book, to be honest with you. It's, uh, it's pretty freaky because well, I always thought, it talks about the weak and the, all, all this other stuff, you know, the people that are going to know what they need to know and the rest of them, the hell with them kind of thing. But then again, it it's very, like, cryptic, too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I always, I always, sorry to interrupt you there. I always think, thought that the the term Iwas was a little telling that maybe it was, it was like, you know, him. You know, he's like Iwas, Iwas. It just sounds like, it doesn't sound like an actual entity's name. It just sounds like his own ego manifesting mm. in this pyramid. But yeah. that was just my thought reading it and, and hearing I think somebody else made that same well, comment, but either way, a part of a part of for sure. Yeah, a part of what they teach and what he learned in the Golden Dawn was uh, God forms, right? So taking on 
uh, the invocation of God, th God forms like Thoth or Hermes or whatever God you want to invoke. And literally, if you look at it as the way a kid would be, if he imagined himself as a character or uh, uh, method acting or whatever, they looked at it as something in, like that, but on a high spiritual level. So if you invoked Thoth, then you would become the characteristics of Thoth, right? You would in pretty much everything in your life, you would be that way. And it, if you talk to any of them about it and say, well, isn't that just you imagining that you're a, a, an Egyptian god? Th that's an insult to them, right? They look at it like it's something much bigger. I don't see the difference, honestly. I think they're both just as powerful, your imagination and all this stuff. However, what he did with his girlfriend there, bringing those two... Let's just say bringing those two energies together was pretty powerful to do an invocation, but he kind of opened himself up to that too. I just think it's fascinating to look at the charts. If you just, I wish I had one I could pull up and show everybody. I got to start doing video, but where you can see right around the time he did this invocation, how just innovation itself, period. And I'm, I'm talking about JPL, the rockets, but I'm, so, I'm also talking about every other technological thing on the planet just started to take off faster than compound interest as far as technology was concerned, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely strange. You know, there were the rare geniuses like Tesla and John Worrell Keeley that were making all these incredible breakthroughs that didn't seem to lead to free energy technology because we don't have free energy technology, even though there are a lot of stories about it. I think it, it exists. I just think it's been suppressed, but it's funny because yeah, there is an aspect to technology to this stuff that seems kind of like it harkens back to, you know, ancient times when we think that, Oh yeah, they had sticks and stones and believed in primitive ideas, but I don't know. The more I look into this stuff, I think that we're, you know, dealing with advanced technology in the ancient past, and maybe they're using occult means to recreate. Yeah, those that could be true. Ancient technologies, you know, and that's why, you know, the psychedelics and just the espionage aspects to Aleister Crowley, you know, career and life can't be you know, underestimated. And that what's interesting is, you know, like I was saying before, we took that break. Tesla had built this Wardenclyffe Tower out in Long Island. I think it was right on Montauk. And it's along this 40th parallel. It's along this really potent ley line that goes through a lot of important spots through the country. And when Crowley was in the United States, he had this special ground wave radio technology that quite possibly could have been used to, it can be used for this, but whether or not he was doing this is up for speculation, but he could have been, you know, discerning where these telluric ley lines, ley currents were with this type of these radios that they would give certain operatives. and. I think it's absolutely fascinating that he chose that spot in New York to do the Alamantra working in line with Montauk. I don't think he was 
in Montauk itself, I don't know. That's not coming to mind exactly. But but yeah, it, it is strange that Tesla, Crowley, and the 40th Parallel all meet. It's very strange. And that's, that's you know, just the fact that you're talking about that is, makes this really cool, right? Let, let's, let's just be real about this right now. The alternative media, including the Fringe and Alt Media United and things like that, are getting a massive foothold into this realm now, right? I mean, there's still what you would call mainstream media and all that stuff. But I think... This whole, what I was telling you about the age of Aquarius, the verse, all that is hidden will be revealed, that kind of thing. I think that's happening on an individual level, on a collective conscious level, and even on an earthly level. There are press releases right now all over the internet talking about how there's a new religion of truth-seeking being formed because people are tired of being controlled and manipulated. And what you have to learn to see is once you really start tapping into this stuff is how, how am I contributing to, to this? Right. So if there are massively hidden things and we're being controlled and manipulated by what we've learned in the Kabbalion and hermetics and stuff like that, how am I in my life allowing that to happen to me and doing that to others? Right. And then once we start waking up ourselves Everything is going to change. Like, I believe right now we are on the precipice of some massive change. I know I just took this to a whole new level, but I really think, I think we are, bro. I think this is going to be like the catalyst to the way the world is going to be from here on out, you know. Right. And this might, you know, I'm, I'm totally in concert with that. And this might seem like a 180 from what we were just saying, but... I think that's how life works. And, you know, let me expand on that and get your thoughts on this concept. But I think just as e as equally as evil innovates bad things to happen on the planet. And again, I'm not interpreting Crowley as wholly evil. I think the man was imperfect like any other person that's been born on this planet. But that's besides the fact from my point, which is as far as evil innovates, the good equally innovates, you know, and there's a constant balancing effect. So I think as, as much as the mind control, psychedelic propaganda machine, whatever it is that the intelligence agencies have used against us, I think that's turning on them, right? Where this awakening is happening and right. You know, now they're going to say that, oh, this is a, a form of alt-right religion where these people, you know, bow down to Donald Trump and Alex Jones. And that's not even true because half of us, you know, never even liked Trump in the first place. I'm not one of them. I got fooled. I'll admit it. But, you know, now I, I can kind of see the truth. And it seems to me like it's way more complicated than, oh, yeah, he was all bad or he was all good. Because I'll tell you what, I certainly wish uh, we had the same gas prices we did when Trump was in office, but not to get into that realm. But I think, you know, as bad as things have seemed in the past two years, this is the energy that becomes the catalyst for that breakthrough that opens up the new aeon that is a consensual new aeon, not a new aeon for the elite but a new aeon for everybody. And that might mean, you know, 
getting them out of the way or them, you know, getting themselves out of the way by flying off into space or hiding away in an underground bunker. But, you know, I, I definitely think that the energy can only lead to life and creation. You know, it's a cycle, you know, it's, it's just, it's a constantly changing cycle. And what you see is that destruction gives way to life. You know, the Phoenix rises from the ashes, the shit and soil gives birth to new life. And I'm sorry for cursing. No, that's the fine, but I think you're right. But <laughs> I think people are coming to this place of uh, empowerment. Like we come from a place where, okay, if you got a lot of, a lot of money, everything's going to be fine. But that's not, even the people with a lot of money, and we're talking about the crazy rich, they're not even thinking about that stuff anymore. They're thinking about what experiments can we do to figure out the questions of life and the outer space. And even this guy that um, invested into uh, cryptocurrency, I forget his name, but people are talking about how he's like this massive millionaire. And he quoted, he said, you know, I, I don't, I'm bored, Right. Because he put all his money into Bitcoin. He posted this on Reddit. He said, I fell down a rabbit hole. The excitement of making the money was great. But now I'm bored. There's two feelings that I have. I'm super bored. And I don't feel like I deserve the cash. And now all he wants to do is figure out what life is all about. You see what I mean? Everybody, mm. rich, poor, whatever. It doesn't matter where you're at. They're being pulled towards personal resource. The question of the I am, who am I? What is life after death? And what is consciousness? And these three questions are mo moving everybody, rich, poor, whatever. And the internet, right. we've created this thing consciously called the internet, which finally enough is run on light, right? Ones and zeros, fiber optics, light, stuff like that. So in a microcosmic way, we have created a way to connect the, in a way that the macrocosm has already been doing in the universe through stars and stuff forever. And now we're like, okay, what's this all about? You know, I, th I, think, I think people that want to downplay the mag magic or just call it the occult or whatever, the second they have an out-of-body experience, like a real one, everything changes. And... Now, right. when you get on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and whatever, everybody is talking about it, man. So there is nothing to me, like if you're one of these guys that always wants to be different or cool or above the rest, where are you going to go? There's nowhere else to go because the age of Aquarius is here. Everybody's different and cool and looking at all this stuff now, I think, you know? I agree. Yeah, there's nothing that's occulted anymore. And that's why... You know, as much as I'm open to anyone's opinion, I don't really, I don't really appreciate any type of fear and everybody's entitled to their own experience and, and the opinions that they draw from those experiences. But I am not in the camp of like occult or magic is inherently bad. And I think that has become a talking point of fear in this you know, at least in the community of podcasters that I'm oh, absolutely. in. And, and I, you know, I love all these people and I think that like you pointed out, if they had their own sort of out of body experience and saw their own power and took their own power into their own hands, they would realize that so long as they embrace love, nothing can hurt them. And it's funny. I just spoke with someone who I know you've also spoken with recently, uh, or maybe not recently, but Chris Matthews from the forbidden knowledge 
new oh, yeah. podcast. And I love that you guy. guys talked about his his love experience with the little frog guy and and I thought that was so cool, man. Like I I asked him a little bit about that and we got into some stuff on aliens and UFOs and all that, but I don't, you know, I don't want to ever be in the position of like telling people like, all right, the end is here and pack, pack <laughs> your right. bags, get in the bunker. You know, I think, I think we're constantly in this nexus point of shifting realities. And as long as we lean towards the positive, we create a positive reality. And what's so cool about doing a show like the one you do that reaches so many people is you can kind of like, help other people tune that egregore or tune that vibration at frequency to a higher, more loving one. And then instead of that, like, you know, vibration they are born into in their shitty hometown or wherever they, you know, regret being, they start to like escape into something higher. And then that energy facilitates a real change in their actual life. Cause you know, you can listen to podcasts all day or listen to radio all day and nothing in your life will change unless you take action, you know? And, and I think that's, what's, you know, cool about what we're doing is we give people so many options for them to take action. You'll learn about so many different things. You can buy a freaking altar box. You can, you know, call up Jim Gale and, and get a, a whole garden planted in your front yard, yeah. you know, like there yeah, are, that dude's there energy are so many is, possibilities. If everybody had the kind of energy that that guy had, the world would be a different place. I'm telling you, but we're talking about self-sufficiency. But yeah, yeah. I don't remember if you're a wrestler or not, but he's a wrestler. I'm a wrestler. I think Grappler, certain... but kind of the same, not really the yeah. same, but kind of the same, you know. Okay, so you've but you've trained martial arts. I, I guess I mean like the Mixed I was only a high school wrestler, yeah, not a college wrestler. But but, uh, but there is something to that. Like yeah, wrestlers make the best wrestlers make the best fighters, right? And I'm not just talking about. In my opinion, they do, and I'm not just talking about physical fighting. I'm talking about life and everything, right? So I learned wrestling. Yeah, right. I learned wrestling through mixed martial arts. So you know, Thai, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestling, all that stuff. And wrestling fascinated me the most because the most powerful thing a human has is their will, right? And wrestlers get put in crazy positions, and it's all about pin moves, right? Pin moves and breaking the other person's will. And there's nothing worse than when you're getting beat down by a wrestler, too, because you feel like, man, God, no matter what I do, this person is exerting their will upon me, you know? And there's a big right. spiritual thing that happens in a wrestling match, right, with two people. You know, especially if a person's really getting, really losing and is down and they turn around and come back. It's like you're living the Rocky movie. If you can understand that mentality about you knock me down nine times, I'll get up ten, right, that kind of mentality. And you start getting that way about self-discovery, about life, about achievement, about all of everything, you're you're on. I mean, you're unstoppable. And I think we all have that inside us. Once we get past this controlling type devil energy, I got to fix my childhood stuff, which everybody has that. But you were already a divine being before you got here. The world screwed you up, and you got to wrestle your way back out of it. You know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, 
I'd agree, man. I mean, my cousin Kyle was a state champion wrestler. I never made it to any uh, state championships, but I was the captain of my team when we made it to states for the first time in our school's like history in like 20 years. But there's something to that sport, man, because it's not just like a team sport because you're out there one-on-one. It's all resting on you in that moment and your loss or win affects the rest of your team, you know? So it's all on you in that moment. And I remember, you know, I, I wear glasses, so I would take my glasses off before the wrestling match and I could only see like three feet, four feet in front of me. And the rest is just like this blurry fog. So I would be like in my head, like really deep in my head. So wrestling for me was a huge, huge moment of self-discovery because when I got voted captain, I realized like, Oh crap. Like I totally like talked my way into this. I I, I don't have what it takes to do this, you know? And then I had to find my way. And and I ended up being, I think a big motivator for the rest of the team and really found my voice in, in encouraging others to, to do their best too. So yeah, not to get into the whole thing on wrestling, but there is something to martial arts. I mean, I've had martial arts, martial artists on the show plenty of times because I think it's, it's really overwhelming the overlap that there is not just because of Joe Rogan and podcasting, but it seems to be like something to magic and, and like, even just like more, the more secular, like, you know, mental sort of mastery type thing. Well, it's under understand. Yeah. It's understanding the will really. Right. right, So even if you fought somebody, there's, there's this technical people that, you know, like you and I have both probably been in matches where if you'd looked at the talent or whatever, we should have lost, but we won. Or vice versa, right? So, but what happens after a fight, or at least for me, when you get beat, you don't think, well, man, that person was just better than me, right? You think, what did I do wrong mentally? What did I not prepare for? I could have done something differently to win. So you're constantly trying to to learn new things. And that's how I am with, you know, consciousness and spirituality and stuff like that. I don't I don't need, to be honest with you, I didn't even want to be labeled this magic guy or anything like that. I just talked about it a lot and practiced it because I wanted to learn it. And people started kind of putting that onto me, you know. But the truth is, is I do all of it, like magic, astral travel. I'm trying to look at all of it and figure this stuff out. And so are the rich scientists with all the money, too. They just have more toys they can use to try to figure it out. And they're not getting any close. At least we don't think they are. But that's a whole other topic, though, bro. Like, where are they when it comes to this conscious exploration? Do they know some stuff that they're hiding from us right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example that I just learned about from a book I just finished called Latitude 33. It's all about Disneyland by Walter Bosley. And I'm not like, I've never been to Disneyland. I'm not like a Bosley Disney is awesome. person. He is, yes, awesome. I definitely encourage people to look up his work and his books. But either way, he mentions this guy, C.V. Wood, who was like the head designer behind Disneyland. And he came from the Stanford Research Institute. And if you're familiar with Walter, you know, he talks about these ley lines a lot, which is why I got really interested in his work. And what's so interesting 
is the carousel, the King Arthur's carousel in the original Disneyland was placed at a three-way intersection of ley lines. And this is a Stanford Research Institute guy who designed this. So very clearly, you know, they're aware of these energy lines. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's speculation for sure. I don't think there's any conclusive, <laughs> you know, documents that say, oh yeah, we did this because of this. But I mean, Walter's theory is that this is why Disneyland had that happiest place on earth atmosphere. And then in 1982, when they moved the carousel out of its original position, it totally disrupted that energy field and uh, might've contributed to their kind of weird infamous, you know, and I'm sure you've talked a little bit about Disney and all the weird stuff that you can find out about them conspiracy or not true or not. I don't think Walter's point is to give Disney a bad name in that book, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely think it's, it's telling, you know, with yeah, the Eisner stuff and, and the kids club crap and mm-hmm. it's just really weird, but you know, not my point bringing that up rather the, the ley lines. I mean, that's fascinating. The fact that you have this spinning device, a carousel. Yeah, we got to take a break, bro. You always get right in the middle of sentences, dude. <laughs> it's cool, though. No worries. No, it's cool. We'll, we'll talk more about that, too. I also want to talk a little bit about biogeometry and stuff like that. We'll be right back with Mark Steves. Go check out his podcast called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. We've been talking a lot about magic, the out-of-body experience, his podcast, the gateway experience. That That is something I think everybody... I don't know, Mark, have you even tried... The hemisync stuff, have you attempted it? You know, I'm not talking about binary no. beats. I mean, just the uh, the gateway experience to launch yourself out of body. Have you tried it? No, I have. I should have by now. I have a couple of Robert Monroe's books, and I've read through them, but, yeah, no. Yeah, you definitely got to. You have to. Because this is, this is going to change. Isn't it, to me, it's funny that I think... Okay. Everybody's like, Jesus Christ, how much is this guy going to talk about Robert Monroe? I think what this guy did in the 70s is just now, everything that he talked about in his books is just now being realized. And isn't it kind of funny that the people that do this big stuff after they pass away is when their creations really start kicking in. And if you think about that magically, what do we know about magic? That when, if you look at sigil work or any type of creation or any type of manifestation, you charge it with intent. And when you let it go, it really becomes something bigger. And this is where people's legacies, like if you have a family and you're trying to leave a legacy behind, things like that, usually you'll find that it'll get built up full of energy while that person's building it. And then when they pass away and hand it down to their children, things like that, it becomes bigger. You ever notice that? Indeed, yeah. I think that's the case with most authors. There's something about this. You can't really prove it scientifically, but there's something about what we're calling magic right now that I think is has a formula of when things are truly let go after they're charged is when they become manifest in the biggest way imaginable. Like the, the idea that's realized, you know, 
Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm kind of uh, a little unsettled by that, considering the recent comparisons I've heard from astral realm to the metaverse, or what the metaverse will become. You know, these people who are familiar with the metaverse and, and play around in VR, they're like, oh yeah, this is the astral realm. This is, you know, an actual astral realm. I forget. I think I was talking to another podcast host about this and this was the point they made. I don't want to say who, cause I don't remember who, but, but yeah, they made this kind of point like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, a projection of the astral realm and the, you know, electronic, <laughs> you know, space. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, it's I think we I think we are little mini creator gods. I think we are the I am that I am. I think we're just a smaller version of the I am, right? Like and it gets smaller and smaller. So if you like what I was mm. talking about earlier, if you look at the universe, the sun and the moon, they create this binary energy for us here on the earth. And if you look into like spiritual alchemy and all this stuff, there's a lot of this talk about the solar body, the lunar body traveling through starlight. And without the rays of the sun, we would have no life. And there's all the sun worship and all this other stuff. But what we've created in a finite way through the laws of nature is how to transfer information through light, through ones and zeros, alpha, omega, the binary, you know. And we don't even know that we're creating in a fractal way yet. Like, I think we're going to discover that what we've created here on this little planet is a smaller version of what's really going on out there. And I don't think that ever stops, ever, to be honest with you. No, no, it's that microcosm, macrocosm. I think I was looking into this book... Sorry, my headphones keep hitting. Okay. That's all right. I was looking at this book, the Glossary of Architecture, and there's all these really strange, like mythological images in there, which is odd. But I noticed the the like concept of a, a cathedral. It's like the image of a man. You know, you look at the the shape of a cathedral from the bird's eye view. You have the arms, the two wings. You have the the spot where you know the ceremony takes place. That's like the head. And then where everybody sits is the body and where you walk into the cathedral is the, the feet or the legs, right? So it's uh, it's really interesting, you know, all of these examples. And it's not just in man-made things. I mean, that's, you know, planned out. In nature, we see this over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know, man, I, I get, I kind of chuckle at this. I was talking the, the other week about, Jeff Bezos and all these guys that have a ton of money, they, they're talking about turning the earth into like a, a natural <laughs> forest or, or like, you know, like Yellowstone or something. Everybody else is going to live in outer space and the, the first travelers in outer space are going to be the ambassadors. And I started realizing that this guy's taken his, his Trekkie mentality, his Star Trek mentality, and because he's got a lot of money and a lot of power, that they can actually do this stuff if they wanted to, if they all decided to come together and say, hey, we're going to leave the planet Earth and we're going to turn this place uh, into a national park, so to speak, and we're going to depopulate it. You can start really seeing how the conspiracy theorist world can validate a lot of this stuff when it comes to DNA manipulation, depopulating the Earth, 
all of the stuff that we're called crazy, tinfoil hat wearing, whatever for, if you really do your research, you can see that there are powers that be that is trying to expand consciousness and understanding. And I, I would say the, the real war isn't understanding consciousness and all this other stuff. It's how we're going about it, right? Like, are we willing to try to get answers so bad that we're going to experiment on the human race? I think that's the problem, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely polarizing, but there's a huge amount of people who don't even think we can get to space. I was just having a conversation with my buddy Ryan from the Dangerous World podcast, and his thought was like, well, what if, what if they're just going to charge all these people money to go into space to live on some colony that doesn't exist? <laughs> have a holographic version of them stored on some computer so they can just Zoom call their family like, hey, I'm on a colony in Mars, I'm good. Meanwhile, they're like floating into the abyss, you know, never to be seen again, probably, you know, like a Viking funeral, a high-tech Viking funeral off into space. I don't know. I mean, I I tend to think that, that it's, it's definitely uh, strange territory whenever you get into the outer space question. And, you know, there's the whole idea that they're just, it's all throwing fake. all this money into black budget projects for other reasons and space is the distraction. Again, I'm not in the, the side of, of people thinking space isn't real. I don't know. I mean, it's just the underground bunkers. And this is all something that, again, Ryan brought up, brought to mind. He was pointing out how, you know, all of these guys like Elon Musk while they're talking about going into space, they have all these projects digging underground, creating all these underground tunnels. So it's like, well, you know, maybe they're going up into space to create some kind of satellite that'll warn them when the next solar flare is coming. And then they're just going to go hide underground while the rest of us fry VR suits. You never know, man. But <laughs> the point is, is we're all going to get to the bottom of it, right? We are. I, I have this intuitive feeling, which I think ma a lot of what magic is about is learning to listen to your intuition. Not not your paranoia, but your intuition. They're two different things, right? If you want to know what space is about or what's underground or what's this or that, we're starting to, to come to this understanding that we can go and find out for ourselves. We can leave our bodies and go find out for ourselves. There's always going to be a distortion of our programming and the, and the conscious fields and the collective and stuff like that. But we have the capability to do what the military has been experimenting with with people for a long time that they say was inconclusive and just buried it. But I can tell you, and anybody that's had a real true OBE can tell you that if you want to know what's fake or what's real or what's hidden, you can find it. If you're willing to search for it consciously, I know it sounds wackadoo, right? But you can. I don't, you know, I, I'm sure people think that, but I don't at all. And I'll tell you what, when I was in community college, I cared a lot more about, you know, hanging out at the park in between classes than I did going to class and just smoke joints yeah. and, uh, and read books on the bench in this park. And, one day I struck up a conversation with this 
gentleman who noticed the shirt I was wearing. He happened to be Native American. I happened to have a shirt on with Sitting Bull on the shirt. And we just started talking. This guy became somewhat of a mentor to me. And I'll tell you what, I never really, again, skeptical kind of mindset from the outset, from the beginning, before I knew anything about conspiracies. Yeah. But one thing that he told me that always stuck with me, and he told me a lot. We spent a whole two hours talking about that. But one thing he told me is when he did a, a peyote sweat lodge ceremony, sort of like a rite of passage, the same way his father and grandfather did it. He went into this trance underground in his astral body. And he met with a reptilian goddess, right? And this is a man from a tribe in Arizona, uh-huh. so, you know, desert, desert culture, right? So he's going underground in this trance and he didn't say it was like a hallucination. You know, they don't talk about it like we do mo- with modern psychedelics. This is, a, this is. They're talking we about talk it like about. it's a real, he really saw a reptilian goddess. So to speak. Right. And, and much, much to the you know effect of what you were breaking down initially when we started this conversation, like with the differences between your DMT trip and like an astral realm experience, like that's the, the gravity, the weight of what he was telling me, like this is this is real. And this entity had been in communication with their tribe, with their group of people for, you know, a long time, you know, great grandfather onto his great grandfather onto his great grandfather all had this experience of this same entity. So when I heard that from my man Amos out here in in New Haven, Connecticut, amongst all the other things he taught me about skull and bones and them, uh, I I was like, okay, there's something to what David Icke is talking about. This lizard people thing is not nuts it's it's got a some meat to it you know yeah yeah for sure man and this is my my point is what you got to do when you're void walking which is i think robert monroe is the ultimate void walker you have to keep asking questions right like even if you do have an out-of-body experience you have to ask is my experience the same as this other person's experience you have to start removing variables and finding the parallels and that's what he was brilliant at i mean he would bring all of these people and just do experiment after experiment till he started really you know finding the trees instead of finding the forest instead of trying to nail down the tree he never came to some like legitimate answers like what is god is there life after death is is the earth round or whatever (laughs) like he wasn't even concerned about some of that stuff but what he did do was find out that people could go out of their body and actually do stuff in other rooms and what Dr. Stelionis Ateshlis or Daskalos calls eczematosis. And I did these experiments myself with my son where I would leave my body and then try to like beat on the table while he was playing video games and stuff like that. And some of it worked and some of it didn't, but there's a little bit of distortion in the conscious realm too. So to me, if you want to know, you have to be able to experiment and be open like Thomas Campbell says, to accepting anything, okay? Because the second you tell yourself a truth, you've just walled off something that might be true that your conscious will never learn, right? The earth is round, space is infinite, etc., etc. You have to just stay open and move towards whatever it is you're trying to move to.
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I definitely need to delve into that further because, you know, you're definitely like an ambassador, an unofficial ambassador to the Monroe Institute, Joe. Absolutely. I don't know if you realize that. I believe in it. <laughs> I believe in it because the guy never, you know, he called what we're doing right now the underground. And even in his day, which was in the 70s, he said, one day mm -hmm. this won't be underground. And what's the underground? The underground is occultists, tarot readers, parapsychologists, the conspiracy theorists. Everybody that we talked to that's, quote, fringe was the underground back then. And he, he could already tell that it wasn't going to be this way forever. More and more people were going to start having out-of-body experiences. The government got involved with him and named their project the Gateway Experience, which was already his project that he created to see what they could spy on and things like that. And he even tried to view the president. Like he tried to astral project to the president, and there were guards in the astral realm guarding the president's astral body, not allowing him in. Now, what the hell does that tell you? That was in the 70s. It's 2021. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, going back to Walter Bosley's uh, work, he, he made the point that like the Zeppelin quite possibly could have been the, you know, Model T to what we now see as like the flying saucers in the sky. Like the Model T became, you know, Lamborghini, Ferrari and all these crazy, you know, advancements in technology that was that simple device he's pointing out that like yeah these flying machines that they were creating in the 1800s maybe they just went underground and just made them you know fine-tuned and now they fly around like saucers i i'm not against the alien stuff i just i find that for some reason more compelling you know i'm again like i love all of that information but some of the human explanations just seem more interesting to me. But again, I haven't experienced an out-of-body experience. I haven't had any contact experience. I did just talk to Nick Hinton on the podcast the other night, and he was like, oh, I just saw a shooting star because he was doing the podcast from his car. And I walk outside with my girlfriend after we we're done recording the podcast, and we see four shooting stars. And I was like, I literally like said it. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was like, I wish upon a star to see something flying through the sky. And <laughs> yeah. within a moment, I saw a shooting star. So oh, I, wow. I, I'm not a skeptical person by any means. I, I have a lot of uh, faith in these things. But, you know, some of the things that we speculate about, I can only speculate about. And I haven't experienced it. But with the Robert Monroe stuff, it's like a tangible method uh -huh. or practice that you can follow. I'm interested in the hemisync thing too, because I recently learned about something like asymmetrical, right? The asymmetrical nature of the world. That's like an alchemical secret that we could spend a whole two hours talking about right there. Well, we only got 60 seconds left, bro. So you got to tell everybody how they can find your show and put all your links out there. Plug away, please, sir. Right on. Well, altmediaunited.com is the place where you can find my podcast as well as over 60 other podcasts, including Fringe FM, featured on the site in the top bar. But My Family Thinks I'm Crazy is the show. You can go to my website, myfamilythinksimcrazy.com. And like I said at the beginning, I have two other shows and a third exclusive show 
on my Patreon called The Library of the Mystagogue, where I take you through the books that I have on my bookshelf. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of content that I'm putting out. But yeah, I noticed you had some availability this, this week. So thanks for letting me jump on if you need somebody to fill in this week, next week, whenever, brother. I'm always, I'm always down to jump on. Well, that's good because I get I get tired of feeling hearing myself talk, and people are like, "Why don't you just get on the air and talk?" I've had callers call in and say that. Why don't you just talk? Forget the guests. And it's like you don't understand. I like to have a conversation, right? Like it's hard to stare at a microphone and say something, and you get no feedback. That's not a conversation, right? So I like to have conversations. I love this stuff. To me, yeah. Let's do something. This like soon and have a bunch of people call in because I want to hear some callers. Last time we had callers and that was a lot of fun. Well, speaking of which, Ryan Gable uh, is up next, but he'll be back this week. He's considering you guys. I'm trying to talk him into doing this, but he's considering into doing his shows live on the air, just like I do mine. And I'm going to give him access to the phone. So I'm hoping that we're planning on him coming on this week. So yeah, it's going to be fun. And thanks again, Mark. Thanks for coming on. Dude, it's a pleasure. Like I said, I'll come back anytime you'll have me. You guys have a good night. Sweet dreams. Night-night.